Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Let's dive into this morning's message, The Ultimate Fighter. We're talking about the fighter's humiliation. This week had a story in the news that is completely worthy of a 48 Hours episode. I doubt that it will ever make it onto 48 Hours, however, but maybe some of you heard this story about how they dug up a parking lot in England, a municipal parking lot, and this this actually happened several years ago, and I'll tell you the reason why it was in the news this past week in a moment, but they dug this parking lot up in Leicester, England, and no more were they digging with a, with a big backhoe that they, they disturbed a, a gravesite. They disturbed a body. And they stopped everything. It was uh, intended to be an archaeological dig because there was already some suspicion that there were some important artifacts underneath this parking lot. They suspended everything and they got down in there and then they very carefully unearthed these bones. And immediately they could tell that this person had been murdered that, in fact, they had a very serious set of injuries to their, to their frame, but especially to their head. Two massive blows had been administered to the head of this person when they had died. And these archaeologists, of course, knew history, and so they began to put the pieces together, and they said to themselves, you know, we know enough about a, a death of a former king of England to at least be pretty seriously suspicious, this this might be the bones of one of our our former kings, King Richard III. And so they actually went back and, and did all the DNA tests, and sure enough, they discovered the bones buried next to this church underneath a parking lot that had been developed there were the bones of King Richard III, which no one had known where he was. In fact, there were about conspiracy theories that uh, were abundant about how he'd got thrown in the river or, or maybe just disappeared. And ca- anyway, they didn't know. You may know, for example, that this, the life of King Richard III was so intriguing that William Shakespeare wrote a play about it. One of the most famous lines in there comes from the reports of when Richard III lost his horse in this battle where they assumed that he died. And do you remember the line from the Shakespeare play? A horse, a horse, who can finish this? Come on, Shakespeare fans. My kingdom for a horse. Well, as it turns out, the stories were true. That he had gotten within an arm's distance of his enemy, Henry Tudor, who, by the way, became the next king of England. And Henry Tudor's soldiers administered some massive blows to Richard III's head so hard that It wasn't the sword or the hilt of the sword that killed him. It was his helmet, they believe, caving into his skull because the sword blows were so strong they bent his helmet. It killed him. And apparently some Franciscan friars secretly, very hush-hush, came and got his body. Does this story sound a little familiar? Very quietly came and got his body and secretly buried it in a place next to this church, which subsequently became a parking lot developed by the city of Lesser England. 
You know what they say, don't you? It's good to be, you know the saying? It's good to be, anybody help me here? It's good to be king. Is it? Because I think sometimes when you're the king, you put yourself in a position where everybody wants to rip you down and take your throne. That's exactly what happened to Richard III. Because the man who was standing apparently no more than an arm's length away from him, whose soldiers killed him, was Henry Tudor, who became the next man on the throne in England. And when we hear today's story, look, it's Palm Sunday. If you recall recall the original events of Palm Sunday, it was all about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, being hailed as king of the Jews. Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. That means he's, he's the descendant that deserves to have the throne of King David. Hosanna to the king, Hosanna in the highest. This, they're singing it. They're shouting, they're waving palm branches, thus the name Palm Sunday. They're even taking their shirts off and laying them down in the past so that even Jesus' donkey doesn't have to step on dirt because that wouldn't be befitting of a king. Now, ironically, we're not going to be talking about that story today because if you recall, if you've been here for this entire series, you know that we talked about the events of Palm Sunday a number of weeks ago. Today we're talking about Jesus, the deepest point of Jesus' humiliation barring the cross, which is going to be the absolute deepest. And it's only five days after all those people were singing, shouting, praising, raising palm branches to him, taking their clothes off and, 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 and strewing them on the road before him. Five days later, this is happening, and it's so counter to everything that we expect. Jesus is no longer being hailed as king. He he is being mocked for calling himself a king. So we're going to dive into Mark chapter 15. We're going to see how did this happen in such a short space of time, and more importantly, why? Why did it happen? So if you've got your Bibles with you, if you've got a Bible app, certainly pull out your crosswalk notes. Most, if not all, of the verses that we'll be talking about today are in the notes. And I want to I just take this chunk whole first, Mark 15, verses 16 to 20, which reports Jesus. And let me just set this up for you. He is in the praetorium, in the palace of, uh, of, of, the, of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. I want you to picture a very large space surrounded by a a columned facade of the palace. So they're they're not in a little room. Don't picture uh, 12 or 15 soldiers. It says here, and we'll see it in just a moment, there were a whole company of soldiers. We're talking hundreds of soldiers. And when you imagine these soldiers shouting, I want you to think of hundreds and hundreds of male voices sneeringly, mockingly, sarcastically, hailing Jesus as king of the Jews. Hundreds of male voices standing in this outdoor uh, courtyard space surrounded by Pilate's palace. All right? Let's go. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium. 
and called together the whole company of soldiers. We're talking hundreds, like I said. They put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. So you're going to call yourself a king, huh? A king of the Jews? We'll show you who's king. And they began to call out to him, Hail, king of the Jews. Now, these were Roman soldiers. They not only knew how to fight, they knew how to shout. Imagine those voices being raised in unison. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a a staff and spit on him. Out of these hundreds of soldiers, individuals were coming forward, taking a staff and smacking him with it. Oh, here's your kingly staff. Let's see your authority. We're gonna use your kingly staff to beat you on the head with and the universal sign of disrespect. Look, this works everywhere around the world. You wanna show someone that you despise them? Works every time. You can be in Japan, you can be here in the United States, go to Africa, Europe, spit on them. And they'll get the message. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they they took off the purple robe and, and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. What an irony. From having crowds of people as he marches into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the original Palm Sunday, hail him as king, sing to him Hosanna in the highest to, to this. This series is called Ultimate Fighter. You hear this description and you wonder if it shouldn't be retitled Ultimate Loser. He is getting the crap beaten out of him here. I don't know if you, uh, if you know much about UFC fighting. Actually, the, mo- the most popular UFC fighter in today's world is not even a male, it's a female. You know what her name is? Ronda Rousey. Several weeks ago, she dispatched an opponent in 14 seconds. Jimmy Fallon in six seconds on The Tonight Show. Jesus is no Ronda Rousey in this moment. He's on the other end of it. He He is being humiliated in every sense of the term. Now, I'm going to tell you in just a moment, and I'll explain to you that there's actually a theological definition for this word humiliation that Jesus is also fulfilling. But right now, I think we can honestly say reading that, that in just the everyday sense of the term, Jesus is fully being humiliated in this moment. Now, where did all this start? Mark 15, let's back up to the beginning of Mark 15 and notice what it says. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, these are all the religious leaders of the Jews, they made their plans. And you know what their plans included? We want to off this guy. We have to get rid of him entirely, totally, He has to die. That's what that means when it says they made their plans to get rid of Jesus. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Now, here's the thing. The Jews, the Jewish rulers and leaders of the people had tremendous authority 
because this was still their country, even though it was an occupied country by the Romans. They, they had a lot of authority to make rules and judgments and lead the people by, by the ways that they wanted to lead them, but the Romans had withheld one power and one piece of authority from them, and that was the power and the authority to execute anyone. And these leaders knew as they made their plans that for them to come to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and say, Pilate, this guy is claiming to be our long-promised Messiah, which they didn't like and which was the true charge they had against him. That wasn't going to stick with Pilate. It was not going to go anywhere. What they had to do was convince Pilate that this man, Jesus, was an insurrectionist, that he wanted to topple Caesar or at least get the Jews together enough to push Caesar and, and his cohorts out of Judea and with it, hopefully, Samaria and north of there, out of the, the homeland of the Jews. This was a, a long, long-awaited dream that the Jews had. And the Romans knew about that. So if they could, if these religious leaders of the Jews could convince Pilate, the Roman governor, that Jesus was against the emperor and against the Roman legions being in this area, then they had a chance that Pilate would do what is often done by the Romans with insurrectionists, that they could get him crucified. So that's what they're doing. They, they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And you see the very first question that comes out of Pilate's mouth? You see what, what these religious leaders have planted as a seed in Pilate's mind. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate? Because if he's the king of the Jews, he's claiming to have authority to raise up a rebellion. And Jesus, notice, I want you to notice this, he does not deny it. Now, we know from other accounts, he, he tells Pilate, look, my kingdom is not of this world. But as Mark reports it, Jesus agrees with him. You have said so, Jesus replied. You're the governor. You ought to know. And if you say it, governor, it must be so. So Jesus is clearly claiming to be king here. And furthermore, we see that those who followed Jesus in his own day, his own apostles, disciples, Paul, one who was an apostle abnormally born, he understands it very, very well, very clearly. Take a look at what he writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore God had exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He's talking about Jesus here. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of Father, of, the, of God the Father. You know what's interesting about our world today? We, we've come to a place in, in, in what philosophers call a, a postmodern world where we have convinced ourselves that our own personal beliefs are what make the facts. Now I'm going to say that again. Our own personal beliefs, many philosophers believe, are what make the facts the facts. Here's why that's so dangerous. Because in effect, that gives you 
the power to be the king and especially the power to say whether or not something is fact, whether something is truth or not truth. In effect, what we've convinced ourselves of is that if I don't believe it, it ain't so. And that's why people talk this way nowadays. Well, that's your truth. I have my truth. As if we can believe two totally different things, black and white, about the facts, about the objective truth, and make them what we are by our beliefs. And that has erased the idea for many of us that there actually is just truth, just a plain, blatant fact that is a fact, whether I believe it or not. And in this realm is where it becomes particularly interesting. Because now people have come to think to themselves, well, if I think that Jesus is king, if I believe that he's king, then he is king, he is Lord, he is savior for me. But if you want to believe something else is king, something else is Lord of the universe, someone else is savior for you, that's your truth, I have my truth. And both, people say, are equally valued. Because I create my truth by my beliefs, you create your truth by your beliefs. The only problem with this is no one operates that way on a daily basis, do they? Have you driven to work on the wrong side of the road recently, ever saying, well, my truth is that this is the side of the road that I should go on, even though it's the left side of the road, not the right side of the road. And all these oncoming cars, I know they have their beliefs, but I have my beliefs. And so I believe the left side is the right, correct side, and I'm gonna drive there. What happens when you do that? We know what happens because we see it all the time on the freeways, don't we? All the time. Some nut who thinks he has his own truth gets on the freeway and drives the wrong direction and kills people. The reason I bring this up is because I love you guys, first of all. I'm just going to say that. I I do. I love you. you. As your pastor, I want you to know that there. There is truth. There are facts that are facts, whether you believe them or not. And that Paul is saying, you might believe that Jesus is not your king. And and you might even give yourself this thought that if I don't believe he's king for me, then he ain't. But I'm telling you that Paul is saying here, there's going to come a day when before Jesus, every knee will bow. And that is objective reality. It is fact that is fact. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look, let's, let's be realistic. Any of you who are married, have been married, have children, you know that none of us by nature want to have some other king over us. Our whole American system of government is built around the idea that we don't want a king over us. And how many arguments have you had between you and your spouse about who wears the pants in your house? 
before you realize, hey, I don't want someone else to be king because I want to be king. How many arguments do you have in your house between you and your teenager or your two-year-old before you realize that even the two-year-old wants to be king? I watched an HGTV not too long ago when we were on vacation, and they had this great scene in there of, of this mom who had taken all this yellow tape because they were, they were renovating the kitchen. She had all these workers in there, and she didn't want her children in there, and she gives this two-year-old little son a stern lecture. This tape is here for you, buddy. Don't come in the kitchen. It's not safe in here. So do you know what that two-year-old does immediately? sits down on the floor, and if that's like the threshold to the kitchen, starts wiggling his toes between the yellow tape, and then, you know, scoots forward until his calf is all the way into the kitchen, and then scoots some more forward so he can get his whole leg into the kitchen. Because, guess what? Mom, you're not king, I'm king. And he's two years old. We don't love having other people think that they're king over us because we want to be king. And so for Jesus to say, I'm king, you see what he got? But the objective fact and the truth is Jesus is the king. You have a king, I have a king, and Jesus is him. Let's let's write that down. Don't be fooled by Jesus' humiliation. We have a king, Jesus. And do you notice what they did? I'm gonna take you down a ways into verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and, and put his own clothes on him. What a, you know, this happened in reality, but I just think you can build a beautiful metaphor off of that. Do you, do you have circumstances in your life or, or, or certain areas of your life, zones in your life, where you want to take Jesus' kingly robes off of him and put his street clothes on him so that you can make your own decisions and just go, well, Jesus is just another guy. He puts his pants on just like I do. And, and you take his royal robes off of him in your heart and mind, and you put his street clothes on him so you can say, I get it, the Bible, Jesus says some things in the Bible, but I don't have to agree with everything Jesus says. We do that all the time. I do, I like, I'm the king of this. Because I want to be king just as, as, as much as anybody else. I'm really skilled. And one of the ways that you'll know whether you do this is, do you have any mental loopholes? Like, I get it that Jesus is king, and I want him to be the king of my life, but in this particular set of circumstances, I think I have a right to lie and shade the truth a little bit to protect myself. Because if I don't... If I don't cover myself with a little white lie here, a little untruth, shade it just a little bit, these people are gonna come after me and they're gonna destroy me. So I get that I should be an honest person in principle, but right here in this particular zone, in this particular set of circumstances, I think Jesus is okay if I'm dishonest, if I tell a lie. Ever done that? And one of, the, one of the little loopholes that I love that's even better than I'm doing that to protect myself, because we get that that sounds a little bit selfish, but I, I love the loophole that we give ourselves that says, well, I'm, 
I'm doing that to protect my family. Because if I didn't shade the truth in this, well, well, who knows, maybe I lose my job and then I can't put a meal on the table. So I have to lie. I have to shade the truth. I have to be dishonest. Not for me, oh no, not for me. But for my wife and my children, whom I love and I want to protect them. See how unselfish that is? I, like, we are so good at these loopholes and I, I can add to that. I got to protect the church. I'm a pastor. I got to protect my family. You see where we can go with that? And, it, and it's not just a question of honesty. You can go through any number of sins to take disrespect for your authority. Ever found yourself giving yourself a loophole of, about how you don't have to listen to your boss or, or be obedient to your parents or, or respect your husband or your wife because? I mean, we don't like authority. We've already established that today. And so pretty soon we give ourselves little outs. And that is in effect saying, Jesus, take those royal robes off. And put your street clothes on because in this case, in this zone, in this set of circumstances, I think my opinion matters just as much as yours does. Guys, I'm going to hit you between the eyes here. Have you ever said to yourself, when I lust, it's better that I be on a computer than having an affair on my wife? Do you see how easy it is to make excuses for ourselves? to create loopholes that in effect take Jesus' royal robes off and say, Jesus, don't be my king for a few minutes. Just be my buddy. But Jesus is your king and your friend. And always, 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 we need to remember and respect him as our king. Look at what happens in the Old Testament. This is a great story to illustrate this point. Three people... Saul, the current king, Jonathan, his son, and David, the one who's been anointed to be the next king by Samuel the prophet. Now, Jonathan, King Saul's son, and David, the next king, have become very close friends, brothers, really. And I want you to see what Jonathan says. Who's in line to be the next king? If Jonathan is Saul's son in the normal course of affairs, who's going to be the next king? Jonathan is. Not David. In the, in the typical succession, that's what's going to happen. But look at what Jonathan says to David. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. Now, now Jonathan knows that Saul's doing everything he can to lay a hand and eliminate David. But Jonathan says, that's not going to happen, not on my watch. You will be king over Israel, David, and I will be second to you. Will you underline those words, I will be second to you? Do you know how important those words are for us? Who want to be king? To be like Jonathan and look at Jesus and say, Jesus... I am second to you. What you want is more important than what I want. Your rule in this life is more important than my rule in this life. Your kingdom is more important than me building my own little kingdom. I, Jesus, will be second to you. 
And and if you want to see the beauty and the blessing that can come out of making the simple statement that Jonathan makes here, I will be second. I want want to encourage you to go visit a website. There is an actual website called IamSecond.com. And on this website, now I I don't espouse all the theology on this website. You're going to find, uh, you know, people saying things that I don't fully agree with theologically. But here's what I love about this website. All of these people are just common everyday people whom the Holy Spirit has opened up their mind, pried open their hearts, allowed them to see that they were on the wrong road, a sinful road, a self-destructive road, and gotten them to a point where in faith toward Jesus, they will say, by the Spirit's power, I am no longer first, I'm not king, Jesus, I am second, you are first. And I want you to just watch one or two of those and see the amazing stories of transformation that come from simply saying, I am second. And that's what I want for all of you, to see what God can do, the changes that Jesus can make in your life, simply by saying, Jesus, you are first, I am second. And I know we don't like this. In fact, here's what I want to have you write down. No one by nature likes the king, or any king, really. And so what happens is we rebel against having someone else be king. It feels very uncomfortable and unnatural to us. And we begin to commit sins against that king and against one another. And so we all end up playing a part in Jesus' humiliation. We all end up as part of the mockery that Jesus is is experiencing here. See, there's a beautiful quote that I love. Until we see that the cross was done by us, until we see for a fact that the cross was done by us, we will never appreciate the fact that the cross was done for us. It's important that we get that we don't like having a king, but there is a king. And that because of the tension between those two, we are going to, like these Roman soldiers, be tempted to humiliate Jesus and, 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 and mock him in our lives. And it might just be creating these little loopholes that we create, or it might be, and there may be people in this room like this who are all out, I don't buy this Jesus stuff. I was there once, I get it. But I want to encourage all of you to be open Keep exploring. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work on your heart. And wherever you're at in your journey, the Holy Spirit, and you're going to hear in just a moment how much God loves you, how much you matter to him. Let's flip the page. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. I'm actually backing up a few verses. We already read 20. We're we're backing up in the events to verse 17. Verse 18, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again, picture these hundreds of men shouting this. Again and again, they they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. What kind of a king is this? If you recall a few weeks ago, Pastor Dan said, he, he, he told us about Jesus' arrest and how Peter had sliced off the ear of, of one of the men trying to arrest him and Jesus healed 
that man uh, put his ear back on and healed him. And then he told Peter, who had taken his sword out, stop that. Don't you know that if I wanted to, I could summon 12 legions of angels? Pastor Dan told us that was something like 70, a legion is something like 78,000. And that in the Old Testament, um, one angel had killed 185,000 and he had us do the math. Remember all of that? Just how powerful Jesus is just to be able to, at one word, summon all that amazing power. And don't you have to wonder where are those 12 legions of angels right here? Why, why is Jesus not summoning them? Why is he allowing himself to be spit upon and mocked and beaten? Why is he allowing these people to despise him if he's truly the king? And there can only be one answer to this. There can only be one answer, and that is Jesus has a greater purpose in mind and a greater goal in mind, a goal of love that he knows that this is the only way to accomplish through his being humiliated. And I promised you a few moments ago that I would come back and, and teach you the theological definition of this because Jesus is clearly being humiliated from just our normal everyday speech. But when the theologians use this word, Jesus' humiliation, what they really mean is that Jesus is emptying himself out. He remains true God and true man throughout his entire life and even now but at this particular point, he, he is completely hiding and covering up any divine power that he has, any divine glory that he has, any godly authority that he wields. He, he's, he's putting it away. He's not using it. Even though it's all still there at his disposal, he's made a determination to put it in his hip pocket and leave it there. Why does he do that? And the only reason we could think of that he could do that is the reason that the Bible gives us, that he has a greater purpose to be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. To win you his righteousness, to win you his forgiveness from all of your sins, to pay the price. And, and we know clearly from the Bible what that price is because Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Jesus is stubbornly determined because he loves you and he loves me to pay that price for, for us. Now, can I say something important that I really want you to hear? If there is someone in this room who has debated, is debating today whether or not you're worthless, whether or not you have any value, if you're feeling like, I can't think of a single person who would say, I matter to them, or I care about them, or I love them. I can't think of a single person who would say that. Do you know what I want you to do? I want you to take all this that happened to Jesus and remember that with every blow, with every glob of spit, with every press down of that crown of thorns on his head, Jesus is saying, this is how much I love you. This is how much you matter to me. 
the Son of God, this is how much I want to embrace you eternally in my kingdom. I care about you. I value you. So much that I want you to be with me forever. And this is that greater purpose. This is the path toward that. And so Jesus humbly, as a king, comes to serve us to this point. Look at what Paul says, how he he puts it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same purpose, the same goal as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He zeroed himself out. He emptied himself of all his godly authority and power. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is a king who comes not to wield a sword in his hands. This is a king who comes to allow nails to be driven into his hands. This this is a king who comes not to bear punishment and judgment against you. He doesn't want to bring those, but he wants to take on and carry your judgment that you deserve, that I deserve, and bear that for us as our servant king. Write this down. I I need this king. He rules differently than any other king. He rules with willing humility, and that's because he loves you dearly. He values you dearly. He wants you to hear loud and clear, I, the Son of God, say to you, you matter to me. And do you know that changes everything? If you've see, have you seen the billboard on Baseline 27th Avenue? For Crosswalk, please take a look at it. Tell your friends about it. The main statement on it is Easter changes everything. And this is where it starts, right here. This is the beginning of Easter, Jesus' deep humiliation. If you, if you look at Philippians 2 that we read in its, it, nearly in its entirety today, you see that Paul says it's all part of one significant act that Jesus does for you. And this changes everything. John, who was with Jesus and was the only one to stand at the foot of the cross, decades later is still writing this as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. This is the fact. He is the king. It's truth whether you believe it or not. And we are in him who is true. By being in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God, and I want you to circle those last words, he is eternal life. When we come to know Jesus as the king of our lives, when we say, I am second by the Spirit's power, that changes everything for eternity, John says. Living under the king's rule changes my life eternally. It it gives me eternal salvation. And one of the other disciples named Peter said this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
So through these, his glory, goodness, power, he has given us his very great and precious promises. He wants you to have hope, and that's why he promises you so many good things. He wants you to live every day in joy and peace. But look at what he says. So that through these great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, you may become more like your Savior Jesus having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Living under the king's rule changes your life eternally, but it also changes your life immediately and starts you down a path of following the king that every day is gonna alter you bit by bit by bit so that you begin to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus, want to make a difference in your world like Jesus through the power of the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, as I end this message, I just want to prevail upon you one last time. This is a message that you need to hear, that I need to hear, but the world needs to hear. Will you do me a favor one last time? Invest and invite this week. And I want to send you out of the room today thinking about all the people that that need their lives changed by this beautiful Easter message of the resurrection. And as you go out, I want you to be saying, not sarcastically the way the Roman soldiers did in the Praetorium, but sincerely and from the heart, looking at Jesus, looking at the cross, that's my king. Hail, king of the Jews. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your immense love that we mattered this much to you for you to send your son for us, for him to sacrifice his very life for us, for him to go through all of this humiliation for us, for him to empty himself out of all his power and glory because he did that with the great purpose in mind of our salvation from sin, our eternal entrance into your eternal kingdom, and for the, for the ability to, to have lives changed right here and right now. Lord, we want as a church to make a difference in the community through that same gospel message of Jesus Christ. We ask for your blessing upon our billboard, our, our postcards, our personal invitations, and, and everything so that next week we can fill up every chair to hear this beautiful gospel of Easter. Lord, we thank you so much that you have clearly shown us The truth is, you are our king. Now, Lord, send your Holy Spirit so that we recognize that as fact. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m., and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Take a moment just to sit back and reflect now on the message that you've heard. As you do that, we're, we're gonna do something a little bit different today. We're gonna show a video. We'll have the offering as we normally do at this portion of the service. Um, inside your program, you'll find an offering envelope. If you wanna participate in the Crosswalk Vision along with us to share Jesus with this community and make a difference in the world, 
then please, uh, we, we welcome your gift. Uh, there are different ways that you can make a gift. You'll find those inside the offering envelope. But watch this video because this video powerfully drives home the message that I want you to go home with today. Says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be at all sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Life is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. I love that video. I don't think I can pull off that preaching style, but boy, do I wish I could. That is awesome. And that's the message that I want you to go home with today. That's my king, Jesus. That's my king. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.